Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hello, and welcome to today's show. A couple of announcements before we get started. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review for the show. You can do that in iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you listen to podcasts. It really helps me get the word out and keep this project running, so I'd really appreciate it. I also wanted to mention my memoir, which you can get anywhere books are sold. I wrote it because I really wanted to share my journey and my struggles so that other women wouldn't feel alone. I go into great depth about how I dealt with the emotional ups and downs and making the choice, letting go of the fairy tale of what I wanted and how I moved forward and how I used all the difficult parts to really teach me how to be an amazing mother. So I hope you'll get your copy and let me know what you think. And finally, stick around at the end of the show, please. I have lots of announcements about Tribe. I want to give you a really detailed picture of what's involved and give you the coupon code so you can sign up before the price goes up. Now let's get started. Today I'm joined with Brooke. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I always like to start out by asking people, as a child, what did you expect for your life? What did you envision was going to happen? I think as a child, I I don't remember having a specific vision of like white picket fence or church wedding or like anything like that. I think I always I was sort of a kid. I was an only child. I had sort of stars in my eyes. I was a dramatic child. I went to high school for performing arts, that kind of thing. I I don't think I had a specific vision, but it never occurred to me that I wouldn't have kids or wouldn't get married or or anything like that. I think I just, I thought I would travel and I don't know, just sort of, I guess, probably live similar to the way that I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I have a large extended family, that kind of thing. Mm. And tell us what, how, what did your path to motherhood or end up looking like? So I traveled a lot for work through my late twenties and most of my thirties. And I think I always just felt sort of socially awkward and I didn't date a lot. I traveled a lot. I focused a lot on work and in my mid thirties, I started sort of focusing more on that aspect, like, you know, lifey things like, Hmm, I should probably think about this now, force myself to. So I did all of the, all of the matchmaking things, matchy harmony, every match, real life matchmakers, the, the whole speed dating, all the things that you do when you're in your mid thirties and you don't have a wide social network, I guess, to meet people. And I, I turned 40 and hadn't met anybody and just thought I, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it. So yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, I pretty much just decided that was my, that was my stopping point, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that was an intent. I don't know that that was a forethought, but that was my cutoff when I hit 40. It, what actually there was sort of a trigger. So about a month before I turned 40, I had rejoined eHarmony and which I'd been off of that sort of scene for a while. I lived in a small town in New Hampshire at the time. So it was sort of hard anyway to date. Um, There wasn't a huge 
I guess there weren't a lot of people there on those kinds of services. So anyway, I had rejoined eHarmony and I kind of forgot that I had done it. Like I did it probably like late one night or something. And I used an alternate email for it. And then after I turned 40, I kind of remembered it. And I, so it was, and maybe I've been out there for about a month. I went out and looked at it and I had some matches. I happened to look at my profile and on it, I saw where it said like age 40, have kids, no, want kids, yes, you know, never married. And I thought I'm undateable. Mm. Who, nobody at my age is, that's, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> nope. I, I am not somebody who people are going to want to go because by then people have had their kids, they're divorced, they're, you know, or they don't want them or like that just, and so that was really the, the ultimate thing that was the big aha for me to make me go down the path I went. Awesome. So it sounds like it was like a quick, it didn't take you long once you kind of had that epiphany to decide to do it. No, it didn't. Wow. Great. And so, and tell us about, you have kids now or a child now. Can you tell us a little bit about what ended, how that ended up once you decided made the choice? Sure. So I have twin boys now. They're six and a half. So I happened to have had a friend who was married and who waited until she was 43. So she didn't get married till she was 40. And I mean, she was, yeah, 40, I think. Anyway, so she had had to use an egg donor. So I was aware of that concept already. Mm -hmm. I had been Mm -hmm. through that with her. So, which was great because it got me to spur to um, donors a lot faster. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't have to process as much to get to that point. So, um, but I didn't have any reason to think that I would need an egg donor. Both of my grandmothers actually had children at 40. So in my, I mean, for 50, 60 years ago, Mm-hmm. So in my brain, I was like a genetic, I was great. So it never occurred to me that this would be an issue, of course. So anyway, I decided to just start looking. I Googled, you know, I found a sperm bank that I liked. I chose the sperm bank. It, I, it was Fairfax. I kept being drawn to the same one for whatever reason. And there weren't mm-hmm. a ton of them. And a ton then, of donors or a ton of sperm banks? A ton of sperm banks. Okay. There were only really a handful. I don't know if there are more now. I, maybe there are more now, but there were really only a handful that I found that were the reputable, you know, the big ones, Fairfax, California. I can't quite think of that. There was one other one that was California. out there. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I chose... A donor. Well, I chose a couple of donors. I, you know, went through the process of choosing a donor. I tried to figure out, find one that looked like my family that had the same coloring. I wanted the kid to look like me, or at least you know resemble my look like they belonged to my extended family and had the characteristics that I I liked and and that were part of my family also. Like I have a musical family, so I looked for music things, music, not talent necessarily, but you know, musical ability. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And or inclination, maybe, and also like traveling. I love to travel. So somebody who wanted to travel, somebody who had, you know, who was smart. I was I was big on the intelligence aspect of it. I wanted um, smart donor, uh, that kind of thing. So I found a couple. I narrowed it down to two, and then I ordered like the full like profile of them. That mm-hmm. at Fairfax at the time, at, again, I don't know how it is today, but they offered, you could buy the audio of the donor's interview. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear their voices. So I had narrowed it down to two. There's one, one that I had been on to early. I kept going back to him. I was mm-hmm. drawn to that donor. 
And when I ordered the audio, I knew that was the one. I could, mm. yeah, same one. So I picked well, him. What would you, I personally think the audio is really, really telling. What was it about the audio that made it so clear to you? Or do you remember? It's, it's so, I do. It's, and I still have, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I do still have it. I, the audio was so telling. Um, there was just something about the cadence of his voice, the tone of his voice and how easy he talked to the interview. He had just an ease and a relaxed way about him and his voice. I, it, yeah, it was just sort of that kind of way. It was very laid back and had an easy laugh, that kind of thing. The other one I picked, he probably didn't say five words before I went, nope. <laughs> but it's so weird, like mm-hmm. just somebody's voice. So yeah, yeah but it was- Yeah, I found that it was like, for me, the easiest way to sort of have this- very intuitive yes or no. It's like I could pour over the details in the profiles forever. But yeah. the minute, same thing, the minute I heard their voice, it was like the yes or no was so clear for me. But it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people who don't find the audio useful at all. So I, really? I just like, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I would think that, I mean, it really sort of gives you the sense of somebody's personality and yeah. Yeah. That's I how I thought that was helpful. About it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> So then tell us more about how, how, after you picked the sperm donor, did you find a fertility clinic or did you go to your OBGYN? I did end up going, I ended up going to Manhattan to the clinic where my friend had gone. So she had ended up with twin girls. And so that was really my only exposure to that kind of experience. So I just went where she went and I did not have a great experience at that clinic. So I went, I did the cycle with them, but the nurse there that I dealt with was, she was just, she wasn't as kind or gentle as I would have liked, I guess, for my first experience Mm -hmm. through this, because it's an emotional thing. It's a hard thing to do when I was by myself doing it. And you know, it's, it's hard. So you want somebody to have a little bit of uh, compassion or something. So anyway, I tried my own eggs. I got one, actually two, had two follicles, one egg produced and I was in a hotel room in New York. And I'm sorry, she, I just, was that IVF or IUI? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, IVF. So okay. my FSH was very high. So we, I went straight to IVF. And there was no messing around mm-hmm. with IUI. And it was pretty, it was going to be pretty low chances anyway. Mm-hmm. You, you feel like you have to try. I mean, right. well, not everybody does, but I did. I mean, I'm going to try for my own eggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. I had superstar genetics with my grandmothers, right? <laughs> So I went, I got, did the egg retrieval and she called me. They called me later. I don't remember if it was that, I think it was later that day and told me that the egg was not viable. And I had never been through this before. So I didn't exactly know what all the terminology meant at the time. And when I asked for more information, she said, the egg is dead. Mm. And I went, okay. (laughs) What does that mean? Right. Yeah. So I left, I went home and said, okay, now what do I do? So I had started down the path already of looking for egg. I wasn't really looking for an egg donor, but I had already gone out to a site and started sort of looking at egg donor agencies. And that was already sort of out there for me when my FSH was so high. So I went back and really looked into that again. And I found a donor, an egg donor that I liked. And I kind of became married to her. Like she was the one. (laughs) She could have been, she could have walked out of my family at any given moment. She looked just like my family. 
she was smart. She, you know, whatever. She had all the, all the things, but I couldn't decide if I should try for my own again. Mm. So I wavered and I kind of went back and forth with the donor agency, you know, cause, the, and they were wonderful, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't decide. Mm-hmm. And so I finally decided to use her and I called and the day before I called, mm. she had been chosen by somebody else. Oh no. Yeah. But that was okay because for a couple of reasons, I, I thought, well, then I meant to, to try for my own again. Okay. And then also um, she agreed to do a cycle for me after that cycle of the other people. So, mm-hmm. so I could wait for her, which was nice. So I went ahead and I switched clinics. I moved to a clinic in St. Louis. I went through a cycle there. I got to St. Louis to do my egg retrieval and my follicles had stopped growing. Mm. So I, there was, we canceled the site. The cycle got canceled when I was there. And so that was hard, but it was okay again because it was a long shot, which I knew. And because I had her already lined up, mm-hmm. but it was going to take several months to, because for her to get through the cycle she was on. And then there's a mandatory, like two month or something waiting period after one cycle before you can do another cycle. So it looked like I, my cycle with her was going to start in like, I don't know, February or something. Then her cycle got postponed or delayed. Mm. Mm. So I ended up waiting about 10 months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, finally it came, we did the cycle and with the same clinic in St. Louis, went to the egg retrieval. I stayed in New Hampshire until, because I was, it was going to be a five-day retrieval. So I didn't need to be there the day of the retrieval. I just needed to go, you know, within five days. But it was sort of a, it was really, it's actually kind of hard to even still talk about. They waited too long to do the surgery after the trigger shot. And so she ovulated all my eggs out. I mean, she didn't, but her body did. So when they did the egg retrieval, she had 25 follicles that were all empty. (gasps) Yeah. So that was pretty devastating. (laughs) That was very, very hard, Mm -hmm. hard time. Um, And did they, so did they like assume fault for it and pay for the cycle or give you any discount or anything? No. 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 Wow. No. In fact, they tried to blame it on her and said that she did not do the trigger shot right. But I know that that's not the case for several reasons. Not the least of which is that that was not her first cycle. She wasn't a rookie Mm -hmm. at it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I could tell, I got all the medical records and I poured over them. In that kind of situation, I go into sort of like a research mode Mm -hmm. where I was going to find out and figure out, like I was an investigator. I was going to figure out what happened. Mm -hmm. And I could tell from the timing of everything of when they told her to do the trigger shot when she would have done it. And then uh, when they did the surgery, it was 39 and a half hours and they should have done it. I think it's between 35 and 36 hours is the, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. So it does make sense that she would have that many follicles and every single one right. be empty. Right. <laughs> right. So right. anyway, yeah. So that was really, really hard. And I, I, you know, cried for a couple of days on that. And then I picked myself up, which is actually sort of un- unlike me historically. <laughs> I, I, when I was younger, I was a wallower. I, I picked myself up and said, I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. You can feel bad about this if you want, Brooke, but there's no time. You better go figure out. Like now I'm TikTok, right? Now I'm 41 and a half. I'm, I'd been started, started the whole process at 40. I'd waited 10 months for her. You know, I don't have time to wait and be sad. So 
I started researching again clinics and um, I switched clinics to Oregon Reproductive Medicine in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. I was going to ask, so when you went to, so, so you picked clinics pretty far away from your home. So I originally did. St. Louis and then Portland was, what did, what was your kind of criteria that you were basing your choice on the clinics? Yeah. So the first clinic I went with was in Manhattan, which wasn't too far away. And then when that didn't work, I went to a clinic. I, I looked where I was like in Boston and New Hampshire area. And I went and interviewed at two of them. And when I walked in, they, they both said they would not try for my own eggs with me. I had to use donor eggs if I mm. wanted to do that. And I didn't want to do that. I, and I, I probably more didn't want to be told that they wouldn't work with me. <laughs> so it was just sort of a turnoff on that whole thing. And I was like, oh, you just care about your statistics and, you know, you don't really care about what the patient wants. And I've got, I'm going to pay you for this. Like, you right. know, just do what I want. <laughs> so, yeah. So I ended up going with the one in St. Louis because it was like a, it was an affiliate or a, the same company as the one in Manhattan. And I liked the doctor when I met with him. And so, yeah, so that one, it was good. I mean, I was fine with that. But after what happened, I was not fine. So the, the, at that point, when I started researching clinics, I started looking at the statistics of the clinics mostly and looked at the, the statistics for donor eggs mm-hmm. or donor, you know, donor embryo, donor eggs, I guess, and donor embryos in 40 plus year old people you know, that kind of thing. So there were a couple that were the very highest. It was Denver, San Diego, and Portland. And were you looking on the SART, like SART.org yeah. for that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, I was. So I kind of forgot about this until just now, actually. After the egg retrieval tragedy, I went down to, my mom has a, like a condo in the mountains in Georgia. And so we went there for a few days just to get away. And that's when I started researching other stuff. And I happened to talk to the person at the egg donor agency. And she told me that the clinic where this girl who I had chosen had done a cycle before me was in Oregon. And I had just come across, I'm sure that there is a, I'm sure this is still out there, but I can't remember the name of it right now. It's a, um, an egg donation. It was like a list serve at the time. Mm-hmm. And a woman ran it. And I, I can't remember what happened, but I, I must have sent her a message or something. And she ended up calling me on the phone. And her clinic had been Portland IVF, which is now Oregon Reproductive Medicine. And then, then I talked to the agency, and that was the same clinic and the same doctor. And I, so I mm-hmm. sort of like a sign. Mm-hmm. And because I had already been looking at it because of the, of the statistics, mm-hmm. he had really good statistics. And so I, I, from there, I mean, it was like in two weeks, I flew out to Portland to meet that doc, Dr. Hesla at ORM. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up switching to him is it was strictly on statistics. He actually had been the doctor that did the retrieval for my first donor. Mm. And it was so like intertwining, but he was not big on her because she, he said she'd not been a superstar. So when I wanted to use her again, because she'd agreed to do it for me again, I mean, she was as devastated as I, well, maybe not quite as much, but she was still pretty upset that it, that had all happened. Yeah. Um, 
he was not, he was willing to do it, but he was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know if you'll really get that much. She didn't produce like a vast number of eggs for the last one, that kind of thing. So in the end, I chose a different donor. I went, I didn't do it through the clinic. I went, did it back through the same egg donor agency. And I chose a donor that had not been a donor before. Also risky, but whatever, it's all risky. Mm -hmm. And I chose her, I chose her more on her characteristics, I guess, and less on her physical, some on her physical. She had light eyes, like me and most of my family and that kind of thing. But there was one picture of her. She was a traveler. She had lots of other characteristics that, you know, I liked. There was one picture of her in her reel of pictures that looked just like one of my cousins. So I, I didn't have the strong physical connection to her like I did the first owner where I felt like she could be in my family. But this one picture looked just like one of my cousins. And I, that gave, that gave me that connection to her. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's who I chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, in the end, she is also the product of a sperm donor, which is a whole different like conversation, <laughs> <laughs> which is very interesting. It's interesting because I know stuff about that too. So yeah, it's weird. Wow. Wow. And so when you went to Portland, tell us what, how it turned out. Sure. So I went to Portland in July, met with Dr. Hesla, he was willing to take me on. Mm-hmm. And I started a cycle with the second donor and with them. And my had to go out there a couple of times and had to fly her there a couple of times to they we had to do the psychological evaluation and there were several different tests that I had done because he was trying, you know, that he really wants his success. He, they like their statistics. So I went out there a few times and then I finally went out in December for my retrieval. I mean, for my transfer. And I flew out from Boston and stayed in a hotel in downtown Portland and took a cab there and (laughs) got acupuncture while I was there and got the retrieval and came back and stayed horizontal for 24 hours and flew home. Nice. And waited. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then took a pregnancy test two weeks later, I'm guessing. I did. I did. Yep. And it was positive. So that was good. That was a good sign. And Mm -hmm. we had transferred two embryos. He did not really, he wasn't super keen on that because he felt like I was young enough that if it didn't, if one didn't take, I could do it again. Mm -hmm. He was very hesitant to do two, two because of the idea of me being single and having twins. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. I wanted twins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I did but because I, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. So I, if I was going to do it by myself, I wanted them to have each other. Right. So I, that was, I mean, so when I think about it now, I laugh at myself, <laughs> but if I, at the time I, I was down with that. I'm, I want twins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll be, I, they need a sibling and I don't know if I'll be able to do this twice. So, and he agreed if I, if, I mean, you know, reluctantly, but he, he obviously wasn't that adamant about it, but, but he, yeah, he wasn't a super big fan of it. So I came home, I took a pregnancy test and it was positive and I laid very, very low. (laughs) I tried to just keep that, whatever it was, I didn't know if it was twins yet in there. I fell, I slipped on ice about four weeks after the transfer and had some bleeding. Mm. And so freaked out. Fortunately, it was all fine. 
And yeah, I ended up with twins. Yeah, awesome. And how old are your twins now? They're six and a half now. Oh, awesome. Very cool. So I want to come back to kind of asking you about support and having twins and that kind of thing. But I first want to ask you, do you have any regrets about how it all turned out? Well, I certainly don't have any regrets about how it turned out. Because if I did, then I wouldn't have the, the kids I have, right? So in general, I probably, I wish that things had gone, well, I don't know, not really. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't even, I, yeah, it's hard to even say that. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I, I if I were to look at it overall, I would say I wish I'd started sooner. I wish I'd not been so self-conscious. I wish I'd looked for a husband sooner, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. ultimately, no, mm-hmm. they're, they're my little boys. They're, mm-hmm. they're awesome. Awesome. And what's the most surprising thing about how it all turned out? I think the most surprising thing to me has been how positive the reaction has been. You know, when you're going through something yourself and you feel like you're the only person that's ever done it or that knows what it is and you don't know anybody else who's done it. So it's just, it feels like a secret thing. It was almost, almost could have felt shameful in a way. Um, There was an aspect of being embarrassed and sad that I had not been able to figure out the husband thing. And so you feel like you feel worse about it. I think not everybody, obviously, but I think I felt worse about it at the time. And I, I was, I was concerned for a long time about what other people thought. And mm. so I think that the positive reaction that I've had about it always, I've had no, no negative reaction uh, has been surprising to me. Mm-hmm. That's nice to hear for sure. And do you think I like to sort of capture, I talked to so many women who are in the midst of making the choice around egg donation and there's so much concern and fear about whether or not they're going to bond with their baby or whether there's going to be issues. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be the mother of two kids that you're not genetically related to? Sure. It's, you don't ever really think about it. (laughs) It never crosses. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It does cross my mind sometimes, but not often. It's rare. Every time, every so often something will sort of flutter by me that will kind of remind me of that. But I don't, I mean, it's not any different than people who adopt kids or, I mean, I don't, it's not a thing. It's Mm -hmm. not a thing. I think I can understand that concern, but it's, it is a fear that is ultimately uh, wiped out. I think there's, they're my kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And have you started to have any conversations with your kids about their origins? So only kind of recently they've, I mean, they're only six, so, you know, they don't really get it, but they have always heard me say things like, well, they're donor babies or, you know, at a doctor's appointment, they'll ask you for family medical history. Does something run in your family? I'll say yes and then go, oh, but not in their family. You know, <laughs> yes, diabetes runs in my family. Oh, but not theirs because, yeah, they're donor babies. So they've always kind of heard that phrase and it's never been a secret. It's never been a hush-hush thing, I, I, but, but they were little and they didn't really understand it. So not long ago, one of them asked me a question. I can't even remember what it was, but it prompted me to go out and find a book about it that somebody had written and I ordered it and we read it. And so they sort of got that. We've I've always had sort of family, excuse me, like the, um, the Todd Parr book about families being different. And, you know, I've always done that kind of thing, like, because they're a family of just a mom, they don't have a dad. So, you know, that's okay. 
all families are different. We're all different colors. We're all different shapes. We're all different sizes, you know, that kind of thing. So I've always done that kind of stuff with them. But anyway, so I had this one book that I got and, and it taught, I can't even remember exactly how it, it described it, but it explained it to, to some extent about how, you know, I got an egg from somebody else basically. And I had one of the boys, one was more interested than the other. And one of them said immediately, so she's our mother? Like, <laughs> horrified. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I had to go into an explanation about, you know, if you give something, if somebody gives something to you, do is it yours? Is it there still? You know, that kind of thing. The other one was pretty quiet about it. And it came out a couple of days later, which is sort of typical him. He's a thinker. And he said one day, out of the blue, something about, remember the, the girl that gave you the pearl that got us or something weird like that called called them pearls. I, I don't recall that I ever said that that's what <laughs> that she had given me, but I finally figured out what he was talking about. And I was like, yeah, he wanted to know her name. He asked me if I thought she was special, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. And so, yeah, so we, it, I let it come out whenever it comes out, whenever the sort of opportunity is there. Cause I don't want it to, again, I don't want it to be a thing. It's just right. the way this happened mm-hmm. doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. And have you been in touch with, I don't know, through the sperm donor or even the egg donor, any donor siblings? Or No. I should correct my language because... People who shared the same donor. Yeah, so, people are so tricky. I'm not that. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I know yeah, that. Whatever. I just know. I went to. A, <laughs> I just know some people don't like the term donor sibling, and they don't want that to be equated. And so, I try to be very careful to say someone who used the same donor because I think you have to be, yeah, it's respectful. And then you kind of decide what the relationship is and what the language is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I have not, I am on the donor sibling registry, but I've not put us out there, but I eyeball the Mm -hmm. the donor to see, and we don't have any out there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, What's Mm -hmm. interesting is the other one, my second choice guy does have some out there. Mm. I just saw this not long ago. Um, I don't go out there much, but every so often I'll think about it and I'll Mm -hmm. go out. Like I'll probably, now that we're talking about it, I'll go out there again and look. So yeah, so it is sort of an interesting thing, Uh, but no, we don't, but I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to that. I, I don't, I'm not opposed to it. It's one Mm -hmm. of those things. I'll have to see how I feel if there does, somebody does show up there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. And so then as a single mom bringing home two babies from the hospital, how did you, how did you cope and how did you, what advice would you give to women about developing a support system? Yeah. So I had sort of a unique scenario when I was pregnant, doing IVF and and got pregnant. Um, My mom, I'd been living in New Hampshire. My mom was up there as well, but she had been taking care of my grandmother in Florida, which is where I grew up. So she was mostly in Florida. So when I was probably three months pregnant, I, well, it was 14 weeks. I came to Florida to tell my family because I, nobody really knew I had been doing it, but very few people. So I came to tell my large extended family that I was pregnant and having twins, whatever, but I had really planned to stay in New Hampshire, but it really became pretty clear that that was not a smart idea. And, and because my grandmother had been aging, my mom was down here more and I knew more and more that I was going to need her help. So I ended up moving to Florida when I was six months pregnant and then went in the hospital two weeks later with preeclampsia. So I was in the hospital for five weeks wow. and had them at 32 weeks on the nose. Wow. So when I came home from the, I was when I came home from the hospital I came home to a house full of boxes because 
I had just moved here. Wow. So, and the boys were in the NICU. Mm-hmm. So, and I'd had a C-section. My preeclampsia did not leave me. So a lot of times they say, you know, when you deliver the placenta, the preeclampsia, you're getting rid of the disease and it's, you know, it's over. It didn't, sometimes it doesn't actually be over <laughs> and it wasn't mm-hmm. for me. So I stayed sick for a long time. So, well, I mean, for several weeks. So eventually, fortunately, because I had just moved back and I have a pretty large extended family, um, everybody wanted to do something, which was awesome and help. And I had a lot of support, probably more than, I probably wasn't nearly as grateful at the time <laughs> than I am now. I need to re- go back and revisit that, tell people thanks again, because uh, it was hard. I'd been in New Hampshire without anybody and I'd lived by myself my whole adult life. I was very independent and doing my own thing. And all of a sudden I had a bunch of people in my space and that was really, really hard. And, um, and I couldn't do things because I was sick still. So I needed to rely on a lot of people that I was not used to doing and to doing that. And that was hard. So I would say that the biggest thing is to let people help you (laughs) accept the help and ask for help. People want to help just like you want to help. I want to help. When somebody needs something, I'm happy to help. Want to. So other people do too. So it was for me, it was a huge learning lesson to try and to allow other people to do things for me. I also sought out eventually, finally, after like eight months, I went and found a twin, a moms of multiple group here. Highly recommend that. Whether you're having multiples or not, I would recommend that people go go find a tribe early because you need you need other people in the same situation. So I moved back to where I grew up and I live near friends that I grew up with who had kids in college and married even. And I didn't have, none of my friends had small children because they'd already had them all. None of them were single, you know? So I, my friends, I moved back to where I grew up where I had friends already, but I didn't really fit with those friends anymore. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So you need to go, go figure out what kind of tribe you need and, and find it. And if Mm -hmm. you can't find it, make it because Mm -hmm. you need it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how, and so after they were, you know, things calmed down a little, I mean, you still had twins. How did you, how have you built support throughout their lives? Because I think I would imagine with twins as a single mom, it's a never ending project. Yeah, it's well, and it changes, right? As they get older. I mean, and it's all kids, but with two, being outnumbered that way is definitely a challenge sometimes. Uh, Some things get a lot easier. Some things get harder. I've been really, really lucky. My mom is, she has them right now. They're off school today for planning day. And she's been, I mean, she's the co-parent, like it or not. She is their coach. She's my (laughs) co-parent. And so that's been great. I also have been really lucky to have, I have lots of aunts here and uncles and cousins and who are, we don't see them as much now that the boys are in school and stuff as we used to, but that were very integral parts of their babyhood and toddlerhood and still are and who they, who love them so, so much. So I also became really good friends with my neighbors whom, you know, I moved in here and was like this crazy single person, but then I wasn't here for five. I mean, I bought the house, then I wasn't here for a long time. 
<laughs> and then I came home with two babies. And that, anyway, so anyway, so I've got a great neighborhood network also now. And then of course the the parents of multiples group. I'm not as involved as the now that the boys are a little bit older, but having a mom group was is good. So mm-hmm. I think I just sort of re I sort of look well now the boys are in first grade. Now I've met parents of school friends too that I've become friends with. So yeah, I think I just, you have to sort of look for and allow the support to come, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you, you have to allow it. And when you're, I think, I don't know this, I sh- shouldn't say this about everybody. I've been on my own for so long. I didn't need help. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is extra hard then I think to go ask and accept help mm-hmm. and support because you, you're not used to needing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can relate to that. I'm incredibly independent and yeah. yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think most of my friends assume I'm, I'm so capable and independent that I have to sort of remind them like I am capable and independent, but I need your help. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a really good point too, because a lot of times people don't offer or because they don't think you need it. And you think, I may not actually need the help, but I could use the support or the Mm. offer or the, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, What's good about that is it's allowed me to recognize that in myself with other people as well and to not assume Mm -hmm. that I shouldn't, you know, if I feel like I should offer help, then I do. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I tell other people as well. Right. And what has working? as a single mom been like for you? Uh, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, sorry. We don't have to talk about you can it. Scratch, you can scratch that. No. So I had a corporate job. I was in a director of a department and a large company. And I was lucky that I had that job when I had the boys. I had a lot of support from my, my super, from my like leadership and that kind of stuff. Um, I worked remotely. So I worked from home. So even when I went in the hospital, I just kept working because what else was I going to (laughs) do? Like I just kept working from the hospital. So, so I had a lot of support and and that kind of thing, but there was a a change, a a big reorganization um, at some point. I think the boys were probably 18 months or so and it sort of went downhill. So I ended up quitting my corporate job when the boys were three and a half and I just, it became too much for me. It wasn't the work. It was just the environment. I needed to probably have quit before then. So it was a lot. I was working a lot. I was working about 80, 90 hours a week. And my mom was basically raising the boys and it was a real toxic environment for me at the time. So I quit and started freelancing. Um, I was lucky in that I could do that in the same field that I had been in with one of the customers that I knew of in my field. So they kept me that. And I started going back. I I had written half a book about having the boys. So I started revisiting that. Okay, let's finish your book. I started a blog. Let's do a blog. You know, started looking at other things and really figuring out kind of what do I want to do? How do I want the rest of my life to go? was really lucky that I was able to freelance for a couple of years. It gave me a great downtime and some flexibility with the boys. They were three and a half when I left my job in that environment. And I just took another one. I mean, it's a much better situation, but I took another sort of corporate type job about almost a year ago now, but I still work from home. I still have lots of flexibility. I don't know how people do it where they have to like get up and get dressed and go to an office every day. And I'm, I mean, I'm, that's hard. So being able to work from home, I have the flexibility if I need to go get somebody from school or something like that. My mom still steps in a lot for keeping them during working time and that kind of thing. But 
I am happy to be able to do it from home where I can mm-hmm. do laundry and that kind of stuff at the same time. That said, I really, I don't want to do that forever. So I'm pretty focused right now on, on my other sort of avenues of my entrepreneurial avenues, if you will. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Thank you for that. So what advice would you give someone if they were struggling at that, I think at that choice point of doing it alone and needing to use an egg donor? I think the advice that I have now is not advice that I would have taken. (laughs) So (laughs) take that for what that is, Mm -hmm. but it is do it. Mm -hmm. If you feel it in your heart, don't wait too long. You know, I feel like I waited. I waited for Mr. Wright. I waited and waited and I I kept thinking it was going to happen and maybe it was going to happen. And really, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have, I wish I hadn't waited so long. There's a lot of agony, a lot of heartache in there Mm -hmm. that was unnecessary, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I wished that I'd had my FSH tested sooner, like when I was 30 or something. So I would have had my own decisions, my own options to freeze my eggs or whatever, but I didn't. And so as you noted very early on in this uh, conversation, once I made the decision, like it was like, boom, the decision was made and I was moving. But the agony leading up to that is, was, you know, it takes a long time. And so I would guess I would say in general, I would not, I would not wait. If you feel like it in your heart, do it and you can. Right. I guess that assumes that you have enjoyed being a single mom or you think it's feasible? What would you say about being a single mom? It's definitely feasible. I mean, it's not easy, but I don't think being a mom in general is easy. Like (laughs) even with another parent there, I don't think that's easy either. So I mean, there are so many wonderful things about it, you know, all the love, so much love. It's not even, it's not even describable. But it's hard, you know, it's hard to manage it. It's hard to manage the house. And with twins, they're in different classes. And so, you know, you try to be involved. If, if there's a Valentine's party at school in each class, I got to go to both of them. How do I go? How do I do both things? How do, you know, those kinds of things. But I, I think that's no matter what it is, it, being a mom is hard. Mm-hmm. So I would tell you, I guess, in general, I don't really think about it like, Oh, I love being a single mom or, or anything like that. I, I don't I don't think about it that way. I love being a mom. I do wish that I had somebody else here sometimes. I mean, often, not not un- not often, but sometimes I need somebody else to take them away so I don't have to and I, I keep my babysitter isn't available or it doesn't cost me to do that. <laughs> I need somebody to take them out so I can do something or stay here with me so I with them so I can go do something, you know. It's hard to be responsible for everything, I guess, in general, but you know, all the finances, I mean it always on single moms. And I, I will tell you I so I've always we talked a minute ago about um, people having a problem with the terminology. Uh, the single mom by choice terminology always has sort of bothered me because it feels like I'm choosing to just be a single mom because I'm not wanting to be married or whatever, which some people do. And that's totally whatever, but it doesn't to me accurately describe my situation because I've heard now re- more recently the word solo mom. And that, and I feel like that almost more accurately describes it. I didn't set out in life to be a single mom. I mean, most people don't, I don't think. It's just the circumstance. And I do love being a mom. But I don't really love being a single mom necessarily. I think there are aspects. I certainly have plenty of friends who tell me that having a husband's not all that. 
that it's like having another kid, <laughs> but which I'm sure is true to some extent, but you know, so there are aspects of it that are fine, but yeah, sometimes I wish I had somebody else to help mm-hmm. carry the, carry the load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's very similar sentiment to lots of single moms. Yeah. So what do you love the least about being a mother? Sorry, what do you like least about being a mother? <laughs> yeah. Um, I really miss sleep, solid sleep. Even at this age, <laughs> my boys still end up in my bed. Um, I had to get a bigger, I had to get a king size bed because they grew. I miss, they are in my bed every night and I miss sleeping through the night. I am not sorry that they are in my bed every night. I am, I, they will not do that forever. So I am good with it, but yeah, man, I'm tired. (laughs) And I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm old, I'm old and tired. And I don't, I think the other thing I really uh, don't like about it is I don't like, I was, I lived for myself for so long. I'm, I'm used to, I'm an only child. I can entertain myself alone very easily. I'm never bored. So I miss the the lack of aloneness, I guess, and um, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Always having somebody in my space. Sometimes I'm like, where did you people come from? You're living in my house. I got weird <laughs> people living in my house. So I think those are the kinds of things. But in general, you know, those are silly things. Mm-hmm. And what do you love most about being a mother? Oh, they're just so precious. They're so precious. that They are so... Sometimes they'll be just insane. And then somebody will say, mom, love you. Mm. And you're just, oh, okay. <laughs> Go crazy. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much love and it's, it's hard work raising up good little people, you know, but man, it's cool to see how they think and to see how they learn and to help, help guide them and the questions they ask. And yeah, they're just, they're so fun. So fun. And this is a good, they're at a good age right now, but they've, every age has been Okay, probably not the very first newborn age, but every age has pretty much been fun. <laughs> as you say, you can see their brains growing. Mm. You can see them as they're learning and making connections and just fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. So anything else, any other advice or anything else you'd like to add before we close? I don't think so. I think I would just say, if you feel it in your heart, don't don't wait around. I mean... I don't know. I wouldn't wait around as long as I had Uh, not recognizing that if I had not waited, if I had waited or if I had not waited the way I did, I would have different children. So not sorry about that. I like the kids I have, but um, (laughs) you know, I think it's hard. These are hard decisions to make. It was a hard decision to get to because you have to give up on other things. You have to give up what you thought, Mm -hmm. how you thought things would be or, or how you wanted things to be, to be willing to do something else, but it's worth it. Yeah. Awesome. That's why I called my book and my website and podcast Motherhood Reimagined because I, I believe so strongly in that sort of, yeah, it is this letting go and picking this different path. It's so completely different than what we thought. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it's a great it's a great term, the way that you've termed that Motherhood Reimagined because it's so true. It's just different. It's mm-hmm. not wrong. It's not, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been so nice chatting. I thank really you. appreciate you it. Thank you. too. I appreciate it as well. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me on. Awesome. Thanks for listening to today's show. Before we go, I wanted to just give you some more details about my tribe membership because the pricing will be changing soon. So right now I'm recruiting for my tribe signature level support groups. 
I have three groups, a pregnant and solo, a thinkers triers, and an egg donor support group. So what do you get in a tribe signature level support group? So first of all, you get weekly video support group calls with all of the women in your group. And there's no more of a maximum of 10 women in any of those groups. And we meet on Zoom and it's an hour to an hour and a half long. We talk about what's up for you and dive into a topic that feels of interest to everyone. It's really a way to be seen in your journey, process through all the emotional ups and downs and get some practical advice. I think listening to other women who are at different stages than you is an invaluable to get information and shortcut the process of getting pregnant by just hearing how it's going for everyone else. You also get a private classroom with those women on my community forum so that you guys can have private conversations about what's going on with you guys. And you get access to all my content. So I have a ton of content that I've created with worksheets, a lot of done for you research, a lot of self-study on the emotional aspects of this journey that you can read through and reflect. And finally, you get to be on my broader community forum with all the women in all the groups. So the price for that right now is only $59 a month, but it's going to be going up on April 30th. So if you want to be a founding member and get the founding member pricing, please go to my website, motherhoodreimagined.com and follow the link to the membership site and sign up. You can use the coupon code founder monthly, which is with a capital F or founder six. And that's with a lowercase F that will give you the discount. Those two different codes are for whether you decide you want to pay monthly or whether you want to pay for six months at a time and get an even lower rate. And I created a video in my Facebook group of the membership platform. So you can see all the content and see what it would look like to join and get a sense of everything that's included. So I hope you'll join me and please feel free to reach out to me anytime with questions. We can jump on a call if you'd like, or you can shoot me an email at Sarah at motherhood reimagined, and we can talk about whether or not it's a good fit for you. And finally, if a group doesn't sound like what you want, you can work with me as a tribe VIP member. That's private coaching with me. You get six 30 minute calls per month and unlimited voicemail access to me, as well as all my content on my tribe membership and the community forum. So you can sign up for that on my website as well. That link is just going live now. It's a new program, so don't miss your chance. I'll only be taking a handful of people. I'm also still looking for more guests, so please head on over to my webpage and sign up to be a guest if you're interested. Or if you're an expert and you'd like to talk to us, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you have any suggestions about people I should interview, please pop on over to my Facebook group or shoot me an email at sarah at motherhoodreimagined.com. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to being with you next week. Next week, I'm joined by Alex, who from the outset knew that she wanted to adopt and tells us all about her adoption journey with her daughter who is now six. Take care.